Real people. Real opinions. Real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits. Let me go to cancer screening. Um, there will be ex- uh, excess. There will be uh, excess to have the avoidable deaths due to the postponement of cancer screening services. And this is according to the Irish Cancer Society, and they have told this to an Oireachtas committee. The current pandemic is having a major impact on cancer care, and urgent action is needed to ensure that cancer does not become the forgotten sea during the coronavirus. The Irish Cancer Society has revealed that 450 cancers were not detected during the uh, screening pause, and a further 1,600 pre-cancers also go undetected. During due to the stoppage as well of cancer screening. And to talk to you more about it is Dr. Robert O'Connor, Head of Research at the Irish Cancer Society. Good afternoon to you, Robert. Good afternoon, Nan. How are you doing? And it would be remiss of us to say, to not mention as well, our condolences to uh, Paul and the family of Ruth Morrissey, who sadly passed away over the weekend. Absolutely. And of course, of course, we all remember what that was all about with the, the scandal, the cervical cancer scandal in this country. And it seems, Robert, maybe I'm wrong in saying this, we've learned nothing from the stories of Vicky Phelan and Ruth, Mor- Ruth Morrissey and many others, Emma, uh, Mick Mahuna as well, and many other people who have died, sadly, because they weren't diagnosed properly. It does seem that we've learned nothing. Um, I, I think we need to be careful about not con, uh, conflating things together. I suppose we were talking about the um, pausing of, uh, of cancer screening, and screening is a process that is undertaken in people to prevent these types of situations happening. Um, and our country has been through a very uh, traumatic and challenging um, exposure to this whole COVID um, pandemic. Um, and I suppose we're concerned that at the best of times, our cancer services um, were struggling to keep up with numbers and bearing in mind that we know that the numbers of people impacted by cancer will double over the next 25 years. Um, so they were struggling before COVID came along and COVID has, has made things, I guess, more challenging. The pause, we can look at the typical numbers of people um, that are picked up. Um, and remember, screening happens to people who are otherwise outwardly healthy. They are showing no signs or symptoms. And that's what screening is, is meant to pick up. But, but did, I, I think, did Marcus... Did Debr- time and okay. make projections from those. Marcus De Bruyne, uh, Dr. Marcus De Bruyne was on with us there going back about a month ago or so. And he suggested, now I can't remember the exact figures, you know better than I, that at that time, and I know um, we spoke to uh, Vicky Phelan as well in around the same time, that although there may be, say, 30,000 screen, screenings done per month when you take mammogram, cervical check and all these into consideration, that only maybe 5% of those would be abnormal or suspicious. And out of that 5%, a small percentage may leave then on to you know, a further detection or further screening. So it is small numbers. I know, I know it looks like a massive amount of people, but Vicky Phelan was still very concerned that even if it was a small amount of people, there are debts that were unnecessary. So I suppose screening does two things. Um, it helps prevent people getting cancer in the first place. And this would be particularly the case for cervical, which Vicky would talk a lot about, and also for bowel. Um, bowel screening aims to pick up the abnormal polyps. Cervical screening aims to pick up the abnormal um, cells. And in both cases, if those are removed, they greatly reduce the chances of somebody getting a cancer in the first place. Um, sometimes they will also pick up early stage cancers. And we know that any cancer caught earlier, and this is why we always encourage people to come to the doctor if they have symptoms, any cancer caught earlier will generally result in a much better chance of a good outcome, including a cure. So I, I suppose the, the, the reason screening is used is it's, um, it's a very um, 
straightforward and reasonably low-cost way to help reduce that burden and avoid getting cancer in the first place if there is some abnormality there or picking it up early. And I suppose that's why we want to have robust screening services that are properly resourced so that if people have a positive test, that they can go through the system and get that treatment and aren't uh, left on a waiting list. I mean, you've also got a situation where over the last four or five months, people who may have symptoms, maybe, I don't know, they've blood in their stools or maybe they've coughed a drop of blood or something, um, and other symptoms of cancer, that they've avoided going to a hospital or going to a doctor because they kind of felt, well, you know, I don't want to go there and catch COVID or there's this kind of, the, the insinuation was that you should avoid it. Although all along we have been saying to people for non-COVID related illnesses, you should go to a doctor, but it has been made more difficult for people. So there's also those people now in the mix as well who may be late coming to the table with might be a very serious illness. Well, and that, that is quite separate and distinct and, and you'll recall our, our previous conversation. So that's separate and distinct from screening and, and people who are showing signs and symptoms that might be ongoing fatigue, a cough that won't um, go away in people who have smoked, especially those who have been smoking for years or or, or decades, those people absolutely do need to engage um, with their doctor. Often they'll get a reassuring uh, response back and there'll be tests done and reassure them that um, maybe that isn't an issue. But we know, I I mean, I I have experienced, I was talking to my GP uh, and in um, in their clinic, they would typically diagnose one to two um, cancers per month. This is just an anecdote, but he was telling me a couple of weeks ago he, were, he was diagnosing up to four cancers a week now because of that backlog. Um, that the people that, exactly as you say, maybe they, they let those symptoms fly. That's worrying, go. isn't it, Robert? I mean, that those people delayed, obviously, getting their symptoms diagnosed, and that delay could, in fact, invariably cost people their lives in the future. Now, we, we won't know, the, of course, the result of that, or we won't know the outcome of that for at least another year or two, because those people may have to go through treatments or whatever it happens to be. But it is concerning that people haven't been coming forward, because what are the figures? 30 people roughly a day die of cancer, don't they? Correctly, yes. About 80 people in total die on an average day in, in the country and uh, just over a third of those um, will be uh, suffering from cancer, yes. Okay, that's a, it's a shocking figure when we think about it. I mean, is it uh, something that's been around with us a, such a long time and that many people still die every single day of cancer? And, and in relation to, I suppose, when we talk about breast cancers or, or those kind of cancers, you know, a delay can cost somebody their life because we have a good record, I suppose, of curing a cancer if it comes to breast cancer when we catch it early. But if it's caught late, uh, that obviously that delay can make a huge difference in recovery. And, and I suppose there, there's, a, there's a, I suppose, a nuance to that. Most cancers actually progress reasonably slowly over months, if, if not years. So I suppose what we're calling for is an investment in resources and in the infrastructure. The the pause that happened with screening, those delays that you mentioned in terms of people coming forward with symptoms, if we put enough resources in now to bring the waiting list down and to make sure those people are treated rapidly, we may greatly reduce the impact of COVID in these non-COVID conditions. And uh, professionals are always worried about the impact of a pandemic, the disease, but also the knock-on effects on other diseases that can go untreated. So we have within our ability now to make for a more efficient health service that could basically reduce the impact of COVID for these other um, conditions. And that's what we need to put investment and resource into, making sure that people are progressed rapidly through from diagnosis, through treatment, 
and, and out through the other side. But, but Simon, the Harris, of, but Simon yeah. Harris assured us going back about a month and a half ago that cancer screening, uh, all forms of cancer screening, including cervical check and, and mammograms, would be back mid-July. Stephen Donnelly I had on the air at the time, who wasn't the Minister of Health at the time, um, reiterated the fact that he believed this was outrageous, that this cancer screening had stopped. He's now the Minister for Health and we're now past the middle of July and there's still no sign of it back again. Uh, and I, that's, I suppose we we were uh, the Cancer Society, Irish Cancer Society, was, I suppose, trying to highlight to highlight that to members of the public that people are aware of the impacts of these delays and also the need to make sure that the resources are available around them. Screening is just the front end. Well, yeah, but it's a sa- yeah, but Robert, it is. A, you know, and I know, screening is essential. It is an essential part of that early diagnosis. What, by the way, Robert, I, I, I know this is not in your within your remit today. Certainly, to talk to you about it. But do you know what the holdup is, or what the reason for not having cervical check back or mammograms, or what is the reason, the reasoning behind it? So, I suppose my, my understanding is there were three um, reasons. Uh, one uh, was uh, public safety because um, we didn't know what way this infection was going to go and there's still a, a lot that's unknown for the future. And screening brings in perfectly healthy individuals into contact. They have to travel, they have to come into a health system. Uh, and at the time, we didn't know what way the um, pandemic was going to pan out. So you could have been bringing people in and exposing them to risk. Um, staffing uh, le- levels in our health system are generally low, and many of the staff are actually seconded into other areas of the health system to support uh, the COVID effort. And thirdly, um, capacity. Um, when you screen, you generate a certain number of follow-ons where people have to be tested, have colonoscopies, um, etc. And that, that takes a certain capacity out of the health system. And with some of the new COVID um, requirements, actually, the efficiency of that system has gone down. The le- it can yeah, but, yeah, but we, and that day. would that would be a fair excuse a month and a half ago or two months ago. But now I only spoke to somebody today. And Tala Hospital, for example, I believe is COVID free, for example. So there would be no reason for people to say to be going to Tala Hospital for colonoscopies, uh, if that be the case. I mean, I don't see how we can turn around and justify opening a pub, opening a shop, opening a, a McDonald's. But we can't justify or get staff or justify sending people to a place where normally there would have always been, you know, sanitary, I suppose, practices in place. You would have always had masks. You would have always had, you know, sanitary cleaning in those kind of environments where people were getting cancer screening anyway. So I don't see the justification for holding it any longer or for not opening these places. And I guess we want to encourage that the government recognises that and that the health system is resourced to be able to manage the impacts of that restart. And I suppose some of the challenges also exist in terms of prioritisation within that, that our health system is still overstretched and these things don't fix themselves overnight. It is fantastic to see hospitals are COVID-free, but we will see more COVID. We know this more is coming down the line and I suppose our system needs to be made robust. But they're not overstretched now, Robert. There was a prediction they would be overstretched and that thankfully that prediction didn't come as true. You know, well, certainly the prediction wasn't correct, right? And that's a good thing, okay, that we didn't end up at ICUs at 100% where they would have been in the past in different circumstances. So that prediction didn't come true. The hospitals are not currently overstretched at the moment with COVID-19. So there is no reason Reason. They're no worse off than they were, say, a year and a half ago, which probably they were worse off because we had hundreds of people sitting on trolleys. We had ICUs at capacity and a government that didn't care. Now we have a government that seems to be caring so much that they're throwing money at, these, uh, health, uh, at the health system. And yet we still can't get people in for screening. And, and for you, this must be a terrible struggle because you're, you're preaching for the last God knows how many years, Robert, about cancer screening and how important it is. And now we don't have it. 
And, and I don't see any reason why we don't have it. I know you're giving me some reasons, but I don't see that reason. Yeah, and, and, and I guess the, the, the challenge is, as I said, that, that the system is very finely balanced and at the best of times, it was running to stand still before COVID. COVID has changed how medicine is being delivered and you're exactly right. We cannot have a situation where we have large numbers of people on trolleys that will instantly start spreading infection uh, from one person to another. Um, we cannot have these situations, but there is also a backlog in the system at the minute from all of those uh, what were non-urgent at the time of diagnosis, but are now increasingly urgent um, cases of people that need to be seen for various procedures and, and, and processes within um, the hospital situation. And this is where when you've had a chronically underfunded health system that these challenges show up, that you don't have the ability to bounce back um, rapidly. And, mm-hmm. where people, and we would get calls every hour of the day on our, on our nurse line. And we may give the nurse line out maybe at the end if, if that was okay, because we know people are sure, concerned yeah, about yeah. cancer issues. Um, we would have calls every day from people who are worried because maybe they were meant to have a, a process or a procedure uh, and now they're unsure what's happening with that. They've gotten a letter or a phone call to say it's delayed and they don't know when it's going to happen. So we know that there are a lot of people who are very concerned in the system um, at the minute. Uh, and I suppose we're trying to make sure that the state takes um, really recognises its responsibilities to make sure that there is timely access and that includes resourcing so that we get screening back and we are living with COVID, but also that these other people who have maybe had cancer or are waiting on a procedure that might confirm if they have cancer, that they also get seen rapidly. Exactly as you said, um, while on a day-to-day basis, um, speed often isn't that important. As weeks and months go by, we would be very concerned Absolutely. that the outcome for those people will be declining. And just finally, before I give out the nurse line number as well, um, in relation to you know predictions of non-COVID deaths that are related to COVID-19, if you understand what I'm saying, um, have the Irish Cancer Society put a figure on it? Because I know in America they've put unquantifiable deaths at 170,000. Uh, this is from people obviously not going to hospital or people not looking after themselves or getting cancer screening. In the UK, we talked to an Oxford professor of oncology there about three or four weeks ago, and he suggested that figures in the UK would be somewhere between 50 and 60 60,000 per six months of COVID-19. Have we in Ireland put a figure on people or secondary related deaths to COVID-19? Have we put a figure on that yet? We haven't. And, and I suppose to go back to what I, what I said earlier, much of that is under our control. So this is what's called excess mortality. Uh, in Ireland, we know that the excess mortality has essentially gone away. So the numbers of people succumbing to illness at the minute are very similar to what they would be at this time of the year. In the US, they are significantly in excess of what, what they would expect. Some of that is COVID and some of that is because in some cities, healthcare has essentially stopped. They are so overrun, um, they, don't, they don't know um, where to put the bodies even and, and, and how to bury them in, in some cities. Um, so we're not in that situation. Our data for being able to predict that is actually quite poor, unfortunately, um, in Ireland. It does not look, though, uh, as if... Um, if we continue and if we can reinvest in, in our health system, we can keep those numbers um, down. Um, so our excess mortality at the minute um, looks proportionately relatively minimal, but no one that I've been able to speak to has been able to put 
uh, a figure, a figure out on, it, okay. on these things. Um, All right. Okay. So, okay. By the way, if anybody has any concerns, if you do have any symptoms or you do want to talk to somebody uh, and you're just a little bit unsure and you want any advice at all, you can call, call the nurse line number and it's 1-800-200-700. That's 1-800-200-700. Listen, thank you very much indeed for coming on the air. Thank I appreciate you very much, as usual. Thank you, Dr. Thank Robert O'Connor, uh, who's head of research at the Irish Cancer Society. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits.